0: Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for every, every breath that is here. Lord, we know that you have given us life. You have given us every good thing, Father. We know every good and perfect gift is from you, Lord, and the perfect gift that you have given us is that every promise that you have made finds its yes and its amen in Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, we thank you for sending your Son so that on our behalf, Lord, he would receive the penalty due to us on the cross. God, that in his body the wounds that he was stricken with we are healed by, Father, and by his resurrection, we are guaranteed a sure salvation. Father, we thank you for the inheritance that we have in him as children of you, Lord. We thank you, God, that this gospel now saves and continues to save us. Lord, I pray for Vodi as he comes up to to, uh, bring the word to us, that you would speak in and through him and through your word, Father. I pray that it would teach your people, it would equip your people as we know your word is uh, able to do, Father. We praise you in all these things. We ask that you... Um, would just bless this body today. We continue to bless these people as they go out to their homes and their families and their local bodies. But again, we thank you that we are gathered here today in your name. Father, when we praise you and ask all these things through Christ, our Savior and King. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. good morning. I'm having one of those moments right now because I just I realized that I came up here with my gum in my mouth. <laughs> uh, what to do? What to do? Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, we were. Um, so busy trying to figure out what to do out there that I, I, uh, I wasn't really thinking about that. But um, it's good to be here. It's good to be back. Um, you, you guys have grown um, since I was since I was here uh, last. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, open them to um, Ephesians five. Open them to Ephesians five. And I want us to look at. Uh, a very familiar passage of scripture, but beyond that, I want us to look at the the section of scripture um, that is broader than the familiar passage of scripture, because I, I believe it's important. Um, there is no doubt that marriage is under attack in our day, um, and it has been under attack for a while, and it's been under attack from you know, from multiple different angles. Um, you know, a lot of people look, for example, at the whole uh, same-sex marriage uh, debate and movement, uh, Obergefell decision, Lawrence v. Texas, right? We look at this progression that sort of got us to to, to where we are on really changing the definition of marriage. Um, you know, when you talk about, going beyond um, one man and one woman marriage um, you're changing the definition that has existed for for thousands of years so we can call that marriage equality if we want to but essentially what we're doing is changing the definition of marriage and th- there were warnings that came when we changed the definition for example in the Ober- uh, Obergefell case uh, warnings that came from the dissenters in the Supreme Court that basically said this opens the door for polyamory um, and it does it opens the door for polyamory uh, if we can redefine marriage and say you know the the, the, the man woman definitional requirement is gone then, then on what basis and by what standard do we enforce the numerosity requirement which one of each right If it's not man, woman, then then there's no standard for how we define it. If there's no standard for how we define it, um, then the number of people um, is wide open. There's a case in New York that is now calling that into question. Um, There was a polyamorous triad. Um, Anyway, long story short, one of them died. His name was on the lease. Um, at the apartment, they tried to put the others out because they weren't legal partners to the one who died, Um, and the judge essentially argued that, you know, these relationships need to be recognized too, and ironically pointed to the dissent in Obergefell, saying that even these guys recognize um, that, that... that this is, you know, that this is the case. That this opens this door, and that's that's where we are. Um, that's not where we'll end, by the way, and because now, um, just like in '73, when when the the, the DSM, right, and, and and in the social sciences and psychology and psychiatry, you know, the DSM is kind of their their bible, right? Um, this is the manual of, of of disorders that they look at and how they you know define everything well in, in 73 they made a decision to reclassify homosexuality and um now uh, there have been several softenings on the issue of uh, pedophilia and now we don't talk about pedophiles anymore we talk about minor attracted persons and one of the things that the alphabet mafia has wanted to do for a while um yeah, you know the lgbtqai AI2s plus whatever. They just keep adding, so I just call me the Alphabet Mafia, right? Um, but but one of the things that that this whole movement has wanted to do for a long time is remove age of consent laws. Just just marinate on that for a few seconds. And so we obliterate the definition of marriage by having so-called same-sex marriage. We open the door to polyamory. We're redefining pedophilia and pedophiles as minor attracted persons. And there's a long-standing movement to remove age of consent laws. And, and, and we haven't even begun to address the whole transgender issue and how we're telling babies, like little kids, that they are whatever they think they are. So, again, the idea that marriage is under attack, that is a massive understatement. Now, interestingly enough, I think all of this stuff is addressed right here in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we're familiar with Ephesians chapter 5. We usually start down there around verse 22, right? And we look at, you know, wives submit to your own husbands. And then we go 25, husbands love your wives, Um, and, and, and it's like, yes, that's, you know, this is, this is that, that marriage passage. Um, but this is not really that marriage passage. Um, this is the most full orbed expression of the household codes that we find in the New Testament. Um, the household codes, you know, we find them here. We find them Colossians and and elsewhere. And in the household codes, you always have uh, the apostles addressing Husbands and wives, like we do here. And then they address parents and children, like they do in 6 1, and then slaves and masters, like they do beginning in 6 5. And they're called the household codes because this is what's being addressed. What's being addressed is the entire household. And what's being said is this is how you practice your Christianity, this is how you exercise your Christianity within the context of the Christian household and again you you talk about um for example in Asia Minor where uh, Ephesians would have circulated you know in in Asia Minor households would have included um, parents children slaves masters in fact in some parts of Asia Asia Minor there were more people that were slaves than weren't um it's a different kind of slavery than you and I uh, think about when when we say um, slave, but it would have been a kind of indentured servitude nonetheless. And it's interesting um, because in much of the world, households still look more like this. In the part of the world where we live, households still look more like this, where there's still, for example, a servant culture. Um, there are parts of the world where you know if you move, I remember we had a this, uh, family in our church, and yeah, he was a pilot in Houston. He was a pilot with Continental and got recruited by uh, Emirates, and they moved to Dubai. And so they they called and they said, "Listen, we we don't know what to do." Well, why? Because you know this house, like all houses here, comes with servants' quarters, and everybody knows that you know we don't have. Um, majoring thing, so every day there 's somebody knocking at the gate wanting to apply for that job and and we're just we 're just uncomfortable with that right i mean we 're Americans, we have this history of you know slavery, and we 're like no, we don 't do that we don 't have service and they had some some Christian friends there who 'd been living there for a while who just said to them that 's an important job in this economy. Get over yourself and hire somebody who will be living in that place and supporting their family. And they did. And then all of a sudden, they start looking at passages of scripture like this. And they're like, wait a minute. The Bible is instructing us on how to treat this person. Wait a minute. So they started seeing people come to faith. They started having Christian friends convicted by the way that they treated the people who lived and worked in their home. And it's like a whole part of the Bible had just opened up. We had the same experience moving to Zambia. A whole part of the Bible that just opened up. Why do I say that? Because the Bible doesn't look at marriage as this isolated relationship relationship between a man and a woman the Bible looks at marriage as more of an institution that has far greater impact than that of the man and the woman and so in that context let's look here at this passage of scripture but I want us to back up some Usually we look at beginning of 522 and we say, you know, wives, submit to your own uh, own husbands. And it's interesting because in the English Bible we have to add that verb to submit. That hupotasso has to be added there because in the original it's wives to husbands. And so we add that verb though because... You see verse 21, right? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 22, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, what's interesting about that is that there are a lot of people who basically want to make this argument. They want to make an argument for for mutual submission, that the Bible calls husbands and wives to submit mutually to one another. Um, And the reason that we make that argument is because of another area where marriage is under attack. And that is marriage is under attack from the radical feminists. The radical feminists have always hated marriage. Amen? They've always hated marriage. Since their statement on feminism in 1971... Um, They've argued for women not to live with men in marriage. There was a a huge debate within um, the feminist movement in the 1970s um, about the inclusion of the lesbian movement within the feminist movement. Um, Some of the leaders of the feminist movement uh, were, were basically saying, listen, that that's that's going to hinder our movement. And the leaders of the lesbian movement were saying, no, lesbianism is where feminism ends up, if it's honest. Now, eventually there was a merger of these these movements. Um, You hear about it, but you hear about it in terms of the patriarchy, not just patriarchy, the patriarchy, right? We hear this this terminology. Um, Patriarchy has been redefined. Um, Patriarchy is now defined as an oppressive institution, an institution that oppresses women, an institution that elevates men for the purpose of oppressing women, um, which is hugely problematic because the Bible is very clear on the idea of Patriarchy, the 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 Bible sees the patriarchs as very important people, amen. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the twelve right. So, I mean, these are, these are the patriarchs in the Old Testament. and the New Testament, we have this reference to the patriarchs. Um, so, essentially, the new definition of patriarchy um, automatically dismisses and disqualifies the Bible as a whole because if patriarchy is this evil oppressive system designed to oppress and dominate and abuse women and if the Bible openly supports the concept of patriarchy like I mean that's not calculus or trigonometry right that right there is simple arithmetic. Okay? You got one, and then you got another one, and you put that one and that one together, and you get two. And so what people have tried to do is they've tried to serve as God's, you know, PR firm and, and make the argument that, no, 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 that patriarchy stuff, that, that's actually not, that's actually not what the Bible teaches. And so they go back to Genesis chapter three and they say, you see here in Genesis chapter three, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That's a product of the fall. But then in the New Testament, that curse is reversed because of Christ. And so now because that curse is reversed because of Christ, we don't have that kind of hierarchy within marriage anymore. And the proof of that is right here in Ephesians 521, where it says, submit to one another. And people just kind of go, oh, well, okay. Not so fast. There's several problems with that. Number one, um, the problem with that is that you have male headship before the fall. Amen? The woman is made for the man. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. The woman is made for the man, male headship. The woman is made from the man, male headship. The woman is brought to the man, male headship. The woman is named by the man, twice, male headship. Before the fall. Here's the second problem with that line of argumentation. They're arguing that there in Genesis chapter 3, right, your, you know, your desire will be for your husband or will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. They're saying that that's when this whole male headship was instituted and that, you know, now in Christ, that curse has been reversed so we no longer have male headship. Um, hey, y'all remember what comes before that? That's not the only part of the curse for Eve. The first part is... You will have pain in childbearing. Now, if Jesus reverses the curse, then I should be able to go to the maternity ward and know the difference between the Christian mothers giving birth and the non-Christian mothers giving birth. Because the ones who've had the curse reversed ought to be looking at the other ones going, what are you screaming about? So in other words, that dog won't hunt, right? But what about this verse 21? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, The problem with, because this is what people want to do. They want to say, okay, here we go, you know, verse 22, um, you know, wives to husbands, taking the verb from verse 21. So verse 21 is where you have to go to start. The problem is that verse 21 is the end of a paragraph. Right? I mean, verse 21 is the end of a paragraph. It's not even a full statement. It's just, you know, there's just a a clause there. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that, that connects to something even before it. So if we're going to look at this, we have to go back to the beginning of the paragraph. If we go back to the beginning of the paragraph, that is an amazing thing that happens. If we go back to the beginning of the paragraph... First, we have three contrasts. On the third contrast, you get three commands. And on the third command, you get three contexts. So it sort of opens up like a telescope here. Let's look at it. First one look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So there's one contrast. Not as unwise, but as wise. Right? So far, so good? Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's a second contrast. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. First one, not unwise, but wise. Second one, not foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's your third contrast. Okay? Now, on the third contrast... Again, just, just like a telescope, this is going to open up, and we're going to get three commands. Now, the three commands are related to the third contrast. Watch this. Verse 19. So we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Number one, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Right? You imagine somebody saying, I'm a Spirit-filled believer. And you say, okay, fine. Spirit-filled believer, wonderful. Glad to meet you. Let's go worship. No, 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 no. No, I'm not I'm not big on that worship stuff. Spirit-filled, but I'm I'm not big on that worship stuff. Oh, okay. Now, no, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a spirit-filled believer. Okay. Let's just let's let's go pray and give thanks to God. No, I'm not much on that praying and thanksgiving stuff. And then the third command. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm filled with the Spirit. Excellent. Submit to the authority that the Spirit of God puts in your life. Nope. I'm not much on submitting to authority. Then you're not filled with the Spirit. Okay. So There's the third command. Now remember, on the third contrast, you get three commands related to the third contrast. Now, on the third command, we're going to get three contexts related to the third command. Okay? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22. Wives to your own husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Chapter 6, verse 5 slaves over your masters. Three contexts where you live out the third command. Right? We all you, all, you smelling what I'm stepping in? Okay. All right. So, that puts this whole thing in context. But, but don't miss this, because again, I believe it, it says something about the day in which we live. Look back again at verse 15, before we get into the other parts of this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Think about those things that we started off with, right? Think about what's happening to marriage in our day. Think, think about what's happening to the family in our day. Think about what's, ha- think about what's going on, right? We, we need to be wise and not unwise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Amen, somebody. The days are evil, these times in which we live. And then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There is a need for this today. There's a lot of foolishness in the body of Christ. There are a lot of people going along with foolishness. A lot of people who are identifying themselves with Christ and yet going right along with this foolishness. It's interesting. I've been. Y'all know Jay. Jay who who always comes with me. Jay lives in Georgia. Georgia. And I, I've, I've, been, I've been busting his chops for being from Georgia. Because <laughs> lately we're seeing some of the greatest folly coming out of that state. The, the Senate race, the Reverend Raphael Warnock, the, the gubernatorial race, Stacey Abrams, both of them identifying themselves as Christians, both of them all up in churches up and down Georgia, and both of them rabidly promoting the destruction of human life in the womb and justifying it based on their version of Christianity. Pure foolishness. Stacey Abrams had the audacity to say a couple of weeks ago that that heartbeat you hear on an ultrasound, that's manufactured to deceive women. She's trying to be the governor of the state of Georgia. Again, this is where we are and we're seeing a great deal of this. Since the overturn of Roe v. Wade, there are a lot of Christians (laughs) who've come out of the woodworks and and either they're saying things like, well, let's not celebrate too much because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Over 3,000 babies a day have been slaughtered. In state-sanctioned murder for fifty years, and you mean to tell me that I can't have a praise break right now? What is that? I mean, I mean, what is that? Put this in a different context, okay? Let's let's take this back to you know 1865. And let's talk about the 13th Amendment, right? Not the Emancipation Proclamation, okay? Y'all do your history, do better, okay? The Emancipation Proclamation didn't free a single slave. That's why we had to have the 13th Amendment, because the Emancipation Proclamation wasn't binding law. And the Emancipation Proclamation was only directed at slaves in states that were in rebellion against the Union, there were also union states that had slaves. So Mr. Lincoln freed slaves in states where he didn't have the authority to do so and didn't free them in the states where he did. That was extra. <laughs> but the 13th Amendment, that's why we needed the 13th Amendment. Amen? So let's go back to the 13th Amendment. Now the 13th Amendment is passed. And, 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 and Christian people who, who wanted the end of slavery decide that, that they're going to celebrate. And imagine somebody saying, "No, wait a minute now. You know, don't celebrate too much. Because there's some people who don't see this decision the same way that you, are you crazy? But then there are others who are looking at this decision and they're not just saying don't celebrate too much they're saying this is wrong because we're interfering with women's reproductive rights pastors from the pulpit saying this don't be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is don't get drunk with wine but be filled with With the Spirit. Boy, if we ever needed that, right? We need that in this day and age. And then coming right off of this, right? We get those three commands and then we get these three contexts and we go to the household. Why is this significant? Listen to this. This is significant because there is no place where you will live out your Christianity more consistently and more honestly than in your household. You can be all kind of holy at church on Sunday. Amen? But you ain't fooling nobody at home. Right? Right? Some of y'all, you know, are like these these people that I've heard about. I, I don't know any of them. I've never been one of them. But these people that I heard about that will drive to church, have an argument on the way to church, say things that Christians ought not say to people that they're married to on the way to church, all the way up to the parking lot, put the car in park, and then get out and, hey, how you doing? Like, <laughs> I'm not saying that I know anybody who's ever had that experience before, but I heard that it happens, right? But you can can do that. We've all seen it. Most times when marriages fall apart in the church, most times people in church aren't going, ah, yeah, we've seen that one coming for years. Most times people say, wait, what? Then you get the story, right? As pastors, this happens with us as pastors. People come in and their marriage is falling apart. People are filing for divorce. And we're going, wait, what's going on? And then they begin to tell you what's been happening for 5, 10, 15 years that they haven't said a mumbling word about, but acting like everything was all right until the wheels fall off And there's no more marriage to fix. That's why we get this first paragraph. And then we go to the place where it matters most. We go to the home. We go to your household. That's where your Christianity is tested. That's where your Christianity is manifest. That's where you are who you really are. That's where you can't fake it. If you are married, your spouse knows. If you got kids who are older than a few years old, they know. And you hate it. You hate the fact that they know. Then they get to be teenagers. They don't just know. They'll call you on it. You can't say amen. You ought to say ouch. (laughs) Really? You don't want me to use those words, but you use them. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do. Right? Really? Really? You want me to respect mom? You don't? Really mom? You want me to submit to your authority? Doesn't the Bible call you to submit to dad? Y'all, y'all, you know, y'all tell me if you don't have any neighbors like this. But most of us have neighbors who are at least at some point something like this, right? And so that, that's why we have this paragraph here all about, the, you know, the way that we live our lives, the way, that we, the way that we even, you know, think and operate as Christians. And then right after that, we go into the household codes, the husband-wife relationship. Parent child relationship. And then, if you want, the employer employee relationship, which would be the closest thing to what we have here, at least in this cultural context. Okay? I'm going to tell you, it's really interesting to preach on this within the context of a culture where everybody, everybody um, has. Uh, help at home. Most of them have uh, help that lives on site. You know, maid, gardener, but that kind of, you know, it's amazing the application of this in that cultural context. Um, But it works. It works even in the employer-employee context. Okay. And so in light of that, What do we do? What does it look like when we live this out? Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit, should, uh, should submit in everything to their husbands. I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice that the Bible is not calling all women to submit to all men. Amen? This is, this is not about women and men per se. Uh, but The Bible is calling wives to submit to their husbands. Um, if I'll put another little aside here, uh, it's also not calling young women to submit to their boyfriends, uh, especially since the boyfriend-girlfriend relationship is not something remotely acknowledged in the scriptures. It's just extra. <laughs> um, and and I know the next question because the next question that I always get is well then you know uh, how, how how do we see how, how are we going to know if if a young woman is going to be uh, a, a submissive wife if if she's not supposed to submit to me as her boyfriend um, does she submit to her father? Well, I mean, her father is yes. Yeah, stop right there. I don't need to know anything about who her father is or how her father is. I'm going to take that as a no. So what you're saying is she's found justification for not being submissive to her father because of his imperfections. Her father who gave her life, her father who gives her food and shelter, her her her, her, her father, right? She doesn't submit to him, but you think she's going to leave his house and submit to you because you cute. Yeah, that's a no. <laughs> Where well, father's not in her home, well, does she submit to her mother? In other words, does she submit to the authority that God has placed in her life? If she doesn't, you've got your answer. So the other thing is, Again, wives submitting to their own husbands. This is not about value. This is about order. Wives submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. This is not about value. This is about order. This is not saying that, you know, husbands are more valuable than wives. This is saying that there is an order within the home. Headship and authority. Anything with two heads is a monster. Amen. Either kill it or put it behind glass and make people pay to come see it. But it's one, one, one head. And again, back to Genesis. Before the fall, there's male headship. And, and by the way, if I haven't convinced you of that yet, you just go look at Romans chapter 5, beginning around verse 12. Because of one man, sin entered the world. Right? Not because of one couple, because of one man. Now, again, let's review the story. She ate first. I, hey, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it, right? She ate first, and yet the Bible says, because of one man, sin entered in the world. Why? Male headship. Accountability and responsibility that follows headship, okay? The other thing I want you to see is this. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. This is about order and not value. This is not about women and men. This is about wives and husbands. And this is about the Lord. Show me a woman who has a problem submitting to her husband. I'll show you a woman who has a worship disorder. Because this is about Christ. This is about Christ. Yes, but if I do that then. Mm, yes, but if he was the kind of man who. Uh, I wish I wish there was like, I don't know, maybe even some kind of verse in the Bible that talked about what a woman should do if her husband wasn't perfectly godly. Um m- Maybe, maybe even if he wasn't, wasn't even obeying the word, maybe if there was a verse that would say something like, he could be won without a word by the submission of, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I think there is. I think it's in First Peter chapter 3. Wives are called to submit to their husbands if and when their husbands have become worthy of submission especially since your husband will never be worthy of submission, and since your submission to your husband is not based on his worthiness, but based on Christ's worthiness. Okay. So this much on wives. (laughs) This much on husbands. Wives submit to your husbands, as said the Lord. Husbands, love your wives Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Again, all that. All that. And for the sake of time, I'm going to simplify this. And here's how you you simplify it. Number one, I, I want you to see verse 25 as Christ. Love the church. Right? Verse 21. In the same way. same way what? As what Christ does in those verses before. Verse 29. Just as Christ does the church. Just as Christ does the church. Women are submitting to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands are loving their wives as Christ does the church. This is about Christ and his bride, the church. There's this living, breathing picture, and example to the world of the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And if I can summarize all that we have here, I'd summarize it this way. That husbands ought to love their wives with a sanctifying kind of love. And what I mean by that is, loving your wife in this way would result in this reality that she would be more like Christ as a result of being married to you than she would have been had she not. Young women, that'll change who you consider worthy of saying I do too. Right? now, Now let's put this into the context of it. Again, it's always young women. Never in all my years of pastoral ministry have I had a young man come to me who's about to marry an unbelieving woman. Not A a committed young Christian man who's about to marry an unchristian woman. I've just never had it. But I cannot count the times that there have been committed, godly, young Christian women who are about to marry... A non-Christian man. I can't, I can't even. I can't even count them. I can't even count them. And there's a couple of things that I go to on this. Number one, there's a clear, unambiguous command in Scripture: do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So, number one, you're violating a clear command of Scripture. Number two, if this is true here in Ephesians five. And that your husband's love for you is to have that kind of sanctifying influence and impact in your life. What does it say that you're willing to marry a man who's not even a believer? Which is why at some point in that discussion, we're going to talk about whether or not you've ever really been converted. It's that serious? Okay. Next paragraph. We're supposed to have a lot more time today. Apparently, people, just come <laughs> children obey your parents in the Lord again, right? Wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, children to be your parents in the Lord. In the Lord, for this is right. What is this about? This is about Christ. Children to be your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, okay? This is the fifth commandment, first commandment with a promise, only one with a promise. That it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice that there are both sides of the equation, right? In the husband-wife relationship, right? Here are instructions for you as a Christian wife. Here are reciprocal instructions for you as a Christian husband. And here, here are instructions for you as Christian children um, or children in a Christian home. And here are reciprocal instructions for you as Christian parents raising children in a christian home and note that this is about the lord and note that this is also about the gospel right obey your parents and the lord for this is right and then he goes to the command why does he go to the command the reason he goes to the command is because again children are going to come into our home and when they come into our home when children are born into our home that they're not saved yet. I, I know you think that, that, that that's a little angel that you that you gave that you gave birth to. Bless your heart. It's, it's not. It's not. That, yeah, it's a viper in a diaper, right? Yeah, no. Um, and so they des- what they desperately need is the gospel more than anything else. They desperately need the gospel. But they don't know that, and they don't understand that, right? So what God points them to is the law. He points them to the law. Notice that in the section before, we're not pointing to the law, we're pointing to the gospel. Because we're assuming that we're dealing with Christian women Christian men who are marrying one another, so we're pointing to the gospel, okay? This is the fruit of that gospel relationship. With our children, the assumption is that they're going to come into this world and into our family... And they're not Christians, and so we're going to start with the law. Why? Well, because, number one, the law exposes sin. And in exposing sin, the law points us to our need for Christ. Got right? So that's where that starts, and that's why he goes back to the commandments. And then, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? Children. Children, obey your parents. You don't get it. But you don't get it. That's okay that you don't get it. But the law says do it. Do it because the law says do it. By the way, you won't be able to do it. But that's okay because the law says do it because it's righteous. And it's, and there's, there's, a, there's a promise there. So do it because the law says do it. But in doing it because the law says do it, eventually you're going to recognize that the law is insufficient to make you righteous. And that you, you're going to recognize that you need something else. And that's okay, because your parents are going to be instructed to raise you in the something else. You see how that works? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, again, notice, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. Again, if this is true in that context, how much more true is it in the context of you as an employee? Amen? And then, masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. That's just good. He says here, by the way, this is not about value. It's about order, which is exactly where we start with husbands and wives. He says this even within the context of a culture that has slaves and masters, people who are in indentured servitude. He he says to these Christians that there's no partiality with God. You're not worth more to God. So to the owner of the company, you're not worth more to God than the people who work for you. To to the employees in the company, you're, you're not worth more to God. You're not worth less to God. Okay? Now here, I want to point this out, as our, our, our time has, has fled. But isn't it interesting? You know, where do we start? We start with this whole idea of us needing to be aware and to be wise, because the days are evil, um, you know, be filled with the Spirit, uh, and then this living out of our Christianity within this most critical context do you know what comes right after this instruction on spiritual warfare? Wow. Wow. Because that's where we are, right? If if the Christian household is this beautiful manifestation of the gospel at work in people's lives. Right? If marriage is this picture, this illustration of the love relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, if the fruit of marriage is children who are brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord with a view toward them coming to faith if the marriage produces a home that is a home of production and not consumption by, by the way that's, that's another thing here right the Christian home is mean, it's meant to be a place of production not just consumption right that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day right but now our Christian homes we're just we're just consumers we don't even think about anyway um but if this is the case and if that's the way that we're operating and if all of it is connected to Christ and his glory in the world then then the response to that is going to be attack from the enemy and spiritual warfare if God says there's an illustration of the love relationship between the son and his bride, then the enemy says, thank you for identifying my target. If God says, there's a fruitful place where children are going to come into the world and hear the gospel and become adopted sons and daughters of God, again, the adversary says, Thank you for identifying my target. Welcome to the revolution. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy toward us. Thank you for glorious truth and grace of the gospel thank you for the person and work of christ thank you for his work